Our scripture lesson for this evening is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and then verses 23 to 25. We hear these words in our Lord's name. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. Having grown up in Minnesota, uh, getting to go to someone's house that had a swimming pool was really quite a treat, which happened very rarely for me. Having moved to Florida and working with a congregation down there, I found out that just about every family in the congregation had a swimming pool. It was pretty common. And so inviting teenagers in Florida to a youth gathering for your church that involved a swimming party was really no big deal. It was no big draw. Up here in Minnesota, that would have been very exciting. It's interesting that sometimes the, the, the more you possess something of value, and the longer you have it around you and in your life, the, maybe the less you appreciate it. That can happen to items that we own, like cars and even beautiful homes and things like that. Sad to say, it can even happen to people in our lives. <laughs> Sometimes the, the, the more we're around certain people who are wonderful for us and to us, the less we can appreciate them. There's an old saying by Chaucer, familiarity breeds contempt. And there's an element of that in all of us. The warning in front of us that we see in the book of Hebrews was offered to the believers in the early church because they were already starting to grow apathetic about their faith in Christ. They'd come to learn about the wonderful hope of heaven that we have in him and, and the full forgiveness of sins and the perfect record now before God that they possessed by having faith in this Savior and I, I wonder how many of them initially were so excited to hear the news about Christ and to learn the gospel. The book of Hebrews seems to have been written around 60 AD, so only maybe 30 years or less after the time of Christ on the earth. Uh, many of the apostles were probably still living at this time. It's possible that some of the people that received this letter got to actually sit at their feet and listen to them, hear stories, firsthand accounts of miracles that Jesus had done, maybe the resurrections that he had brought about and other miraculous things, and maybe had even seen the apostles themselves now perform miracles. Christ lets that first tier of apostles uh, perform some tremendous things. It's possible some of the people had heard Jesus himself preach Probably there were a few at least that had witnessed the great day of Pentecost and the flames on the head of the apostles and hearing them speak in other languages and all of that. Think of all the, all the potential advantages they had to have enthusiasm and excitement about this wonderful faith that we have in Christ. But notice they're already growing lax. They're already starting to fade in their faith. They're already having to be warned by the author here. Let's not forsake assembling together. Let's not forsake gathering together in worship. 
to receive God's grace through the means of grace, word and sacrament. I remember years ago serving a congregation where there was a, a family, a young couple that joined our church and they left another church because it no longer wanted to hold on to scripture as being inerrant, the inerrant word of God. And they sought out a church, our congregation, that was still teaching and confessing that. And they were so excited about that. About three years later, their own daughter came to me after a confirmation class. And she held open her confirmation book, her catechism. And she pointed to this very passage from Hebrews that was in there that says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And she said, what does that mean? I said, it basically means let's not stop, let's, let's not stop going to church. Let's make sure we keep coming to hear the word of God. 13-year-old girl, and she said to me, how can I tell my parents about this? How can I convince my mom and dad about this? I thought how sad. Just three years earlier, her parents were so um, careful to make sure to want to go to a place where God's word would be professed and taught. And now they had casually falling, fallen away. The primary source for endangering my faith comes from right inside of me. The primary place for my faith to be challenged is really my own heart and my own mind. I sometimes wonder if God called me to be a pastor because he knew that would allow me to keep working in his word and be around it and around fellow Christians because I might not have stayed there on my own. If you want to see how important God's word truly is, just consider in your own self how much you still try to resist it at times, how much our sinful flesh still pushes against it and still doesn't want to really listen to what it has to say to us, especially when it pricks at our consciences. And I think of all the excuses that I can come up with to not really want to personally, in a devotional way, study the word of God. All the excuses in my mind that I have to push myself through, even on a Sunday morning to go to church and worship. When I was about five years old, I had to have some teeth extracted from my mouth. And just to show you how old I am, the, the dentist still used ether on me. And uh, ether, they would, they would put a cloth over your face and spray ether on you, and you had to breathe that in, and it, it knocked me out. But it took a few seconds to do that. There was a gradual process, and finally, finally, I was out. Think about, think about the ways that, that our sinful hearts and flesh and the world around us can come to us with sort of spiritual anesthesia, and to start to put us into a slumber about, about our faith. Sometimes even when we're just in the presence of, of worshiping God, just slowly start to take our hearts away from Christ. What causes spiritual anesthesia for you? We each have our own little areas and, and ways that it kind of comes over us, this, this sleepiness about the things of God. So what is it for you? What are the, where are the places where maybe your own sinful heart starts to kind of put you into a slumber about your love for Christ? Losing our faith generally begins with kind of an attitude toward the word of God. 
kind of gently pushing that away, even if, even if we're in the presence of it, but gently pushing it away in our hearts. Satan never comes and takes the word quickly away from us when we've been believers in Christ. He usually does it very slowly and very subtly in kind of ways with little gentle shifts in our lives as far as what we see important, changing our priorities. And it's rare that someone's unbelief comes on really fast. It does happen, but it's rare that it comes on really fast. It's usually kind of a gradual shutting down of things. And there are many atheists that I have known even who can recite the words of the Apostles' Creed, who can quote John 3.16, who know biblical stories and things. And yet somehow, even though they maybe had this in their childhood and youth, maybe even into young adulthood, somehow it's slowly sort of been taken away from them. What the author here is reminding us is how absolutely crucial our relationship to our God is through his word. It's through that word of God that God promises to come to us and to bring to us the knowledge of our Savior and to hold us in that faith to keep us in the process of repentance and and hearing of his grace and forgiveness and the marvelous, wonderful hope of everlasting life that we have through Christ. We cannot have a relationship to God apart from his word. That's why it's so important for us to continue in our worship life. That's what the author is getting at. Jesus himself says about his flock of believers, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You can't become a, you can't be part of the flock of Christ if you're not really hearing his word and following it. That word of Christ contains the one and only way that the Holy Spirit goes about his work in our hearts and in our minds and consciences. And that's why the author here is encouraging us to assemble so often together. He says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. That means judgment day. Knowing, knowing what the real end of life is going to be or maybe the day you check out of this life, you have no idea when that is. But we know it's coming. As you see it approaching, he says, we should really pay attention to staying with our Savior and appreciating all that he's done for us. The reason we need to regularly be hearing the gospel is because it's a foreign concept. It's an alien teaching, as Luther calls it. It's something from another world. It's not something we in our own minds can can think of and invent. It has to be retaught to us over and over again. The concept and idea that God would enter our world in the form of Jesus Christ, his son, and go to the cross and suffer and die to atone for all of our sins that beautiful, wonderful message, that's a foreign concept. It's an alien teaching. It doesn't fit the way we naturally think. And so we need to hear it regularly and receive it regularly in the sacrament through the precious worship life of the church. And that's why Jesus promises too. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Every once in a while you stop and think about that when you're worshiping like tonight, that Christ himself in both natures, divine and human nature, is present where his word is being used and at least two or three are being gathered. He is there in the midst of them. 
And this is how he loves us and gathers us together. Because it's in that gospel, as Paul calls it, it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the only thing that can go down into my heart and into your heart and connect us to the Savior and make sure that we someday come to heaven. You know, God has a lot to say in Scripture about families and passing on this faith in our homes and moms and dads teaching it to their children. And faith is certainly nurtured there. But it also includes encouragement frequently like this of us in a congregational setting. And here's another element of this that we might forget about. A lot of times we think about worship as, as what you get out of it. That's true. But it's also what you give in worship when you're there with fellow believers. You give encouragement to others in the faith. When you stand and confess your sins and show your appreciation for Christ, when you confess the creed, you are strengthening fellow believers in Christ. So the purpose of worship is not simply for yourself. God uses you and your mouth and your voice, even the singing of hymns and the liturgy and all of that, to help strengthen one another in our love for Christ. Listen to what it says. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, exhorting one another. It's a Greek word that means to urge people on to encourage and urge people on. So, the, uh, the text says to us, let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering. May God grant us hearts of faith that, that cherish this word and cherish our worship life together and, and stir up in us a desire to want to stay with this wonderful Savior that we have who's promised us everlasting life in heaven by faith in him. Amen.